Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. Welcome to the Safer Chemicals Podcast. Today, we will be speaking about nanomaterials. More specifically, how they persist in the environment and how their safety should be considered already when the products are being designed. Nanomaterials have different properties than larger materials, and producing them opens new opportunities in many fields. But they may also have different effects on our health and the environment than larger forms. The European Union Observatory for Nanomaterials, also known as EU1, recently concluded a study looking at what tools are available for assessing the biodegradation of nanomaterials and how these can be used for regulatory processes. The study also looked at the safe by design concept for nanomaterials and if and how safety considerations are introduced when designing and developing products and processes. My name is Päivi Jokiniemi and I am joined today by three experts. Virginia Rodriguez Unamuno, a scientific officer from the European Chemicals Agency, who will talk us through the study and its findings. Dr. Richard Cross, an ecotoxicologist from the UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology, who is an expert on biodegradation. He has a particular interest in the fate and behaviours of engineered nanomaterials, microplastics and nanoplastics, and how this relates to their biological interactions. And Dr. Socorro Vasquez Campos, who is the lead of the Human and Environmental Health and Safety Group at Leitat Technological Center in Barcelona. She leads an EU project that aims to develop a platform to guide the safe by design concept for nanomaterials. Welcome all and thanks so much for joining us. So I was thinking we get started with Richard and I was wondering if you could tell us how the biodegradation and persistence of nanomaterials is different from conventional chemicals. Hi, Pavi, of course. Um, so when we think about persistence of nanomaterials, I think it's important to remember that we're not just talking about persistence of the chemistry. Um, so we're not talking about just biodegradation of organic chemicals into eventually water and carbon dioxide. Um, we're also talking about persistence of the physical aspects of the material. So that's its physical chemical properties, that structure that makes it a nanomaterial and differs it really from being uh, just a conventional chemical. When we talk about persistence of these physical aspects, we might also like to think about persistence of the function of the material. So often we design these nanomaterials to have particular uh, physical chemical properties to deliver a uh, desired function. And actually not only thinking about persistence of these uh, physical chemical properties, but we can think, how does that function persist within the environment or within the body? Um, and maybe that's a way to uh, to discuss and talk about uh, persistence of these materials too. For example, we might think about delivery of active ingredients in nanocarriers. So this could be anything from um, pesticides in an agricultural application, to cosmetics um, and putting something nanocapsulated on your skin so that the release of that active ingredient is delayed or slowed or, or triggered by particular conditions. And there we might be thinking about persistence of that physical feature of the nanocapsulates. Does that bubble, as it were, um, remain uh, in the environment? Um, at what point is it 
peer store or does it break down in its structure? And that's another avenue of persistence that we might be interested in measuring and monitoring, particularly thinking about this functionality of the nanomaterials and what they're used for. I think what's also uh, interesting when we talk about nanocarriers is that brings us into this idea that nanomaterials might not just have a single uh, chemical constituent, they might be composite materials. Um, and different degradation mechanisms can apply to different constituents of that material. So durability in the environment suddenly becomes a mixture consideration. And that's not true only of nanomaterials. That's obviously also uh, something uh, for UVCB and multi-constituent substances. Um, but I think what's perhaps unique to nanomaterials is that it's further complicated by how the structural properties of the nanomaterial, like size or uh, surface functionality can then actually change the available surface for things like enzyme degradation. So you might have a material or a multi-constituent nanomaterial where although the chemistry ostensibly seems the same, um, actually these structural properties mean that the degradation rates by things like uh, enzyme degradation actually differ between materials with the same core composition. If we think about today then, what do we know about the biodegradation and persistence of nanomaterials? Well, first of all, we've got to be careful when we talk about biodegradation and persistence in the same sentence. They're two quite different things. Biodegradation is pretty much exclusively for these organic nanomaterials or their organic surface treatments. Whereas persistence, like I was saying, is can be linked to persistence of function or persistence of these physical uh, properties of the nanomaterial. And the persistence of the nanomaterial can be related both to biotics, so that's when biology comes into play and starts degrading the material, um, or abiotic factors. So that's where the environment, things like pH, hydrolysis, um, UV degradation, these kind of uh, processes take effect and start degrading our material. Now, the relevance of those two processes is dependent on the chemistry of our material, just as it is for larger chemicals. What we need to know is, do we have currently adequate methods to measure both these biotic and abiotic processes for nanomaterials specifically? Uh, and one key gap which um, came out actually from this report as well is that we currently don't um, have adequate methods for recovering nanomaterials from environmental matrices and characterizing their transformation products. And that's gonna be really key for this question of degradation. Importantly, it, uh, for inorganic nanomaterials that are not biodegradable, um, they can degrade through other processes, like I said, um, for example, dissolution. And we do actually have methods for that currently. Um, the OECD guidance document 3118 uh, looks specifically at um, screening for dissolution and for dispersion stability. So we have the test there at the moment. However, it does highlight that just identifying that a material is not biodegradable um, actually can't be the only criteria to flag it as unsafe or of concern because other abiotic pathways might be relevant for that material. Finally, I'd say that we've talked about the degradation of the core material itself, but as I said, some of these nanomaterials might be composites and layers of different substances. And in particular, organic surface treatments really we've seen can drive the fate of these materials in the environment. So where they go and where they end up, which organisms they finally come into contact with, for example. 
But we also know that these organic surface treatments can be used by microbes as a carbon source, uh, both in soils and in wastewater treatment works. And actually, this is some of the work that we've been doing at UKCEH is looking at how we might screen for organic surface treatments that would be biodegradable. And what's needed is to link up these screening methods um, and actually see how predictive they can be in the real world of degradation of these surface treatments at the surface of nanomaterials. And that's kind of the next step that we'd like to explore. Uh, you mentioned there some other processes how nanomaterials can degrade, like the dissolution, for example. Do we know of other ways that can be used to degrade nanomaterials and reduce their release or environmental impact? I think a lot of it comes down to good waste management. Um, so really having effective water treatment um, can be key to this. Uh, breaking down organic-based nanomaterials in this really microbial-rich environment. So that's that's one way. Um, but we also know that incineration can also be an effective way to degrade, say, or inorganic uh, nanomaterials. There was work a couple of years ago looking at how cerium oxide particles are reduced during uh, incineration um, into sort of more mineral phases. Um, so that's another route through which we can have this original engineered nanomaterial, um, but through its transformation through waste management actually becomes something more analogous to uh, the mineral phases that you'd find in the environment. Something maybe a little bit more concrete, what should companies consider when they design and produce nanomaterials or include them in their products? I think it has to be about the whole life cycle. So your degradability or your persistence really is quite driven by the environment in which you're in. And so if we think about the whole life cycle of the product, we might be able to identify um, where those releases will uh, predominantly be and then understand the persistence of the material under the most relevant um, exposures uh, during that life cycle. So reducing release is a significant consideration that we need to make. So the behaviours of nanomaterials in the environment can deliver materials or active ingredients or substances to different biological targets. So there may be some cases where we can't completely reduce uh, or eliminate the hazard concern of the material, and there we might need to reduce releases overall. And of course, we do need to consider the hazard of a, of a nanomaterial when we design these materials and include them in products. But a key consideration is, is hazard of the most environmentally relevant form. So again, that ties back into that idea of assessment across the whole life cycle. What form is going to actually reach the environment and our organism where the material actually reaches and delivers, delivers that nanomaterial, which might result in an effect. Um, speaking as an ecotoxicologist, we're always concerned about where within the ecosystem and which level of the trophic chain organisms are most going to be exposed and which ones are most sensitive. So part of that equation is looking at, well, what does the nanomaterial look like when it actually comes into contact uh, with these organisms? And how can we make our tests reflect that most representative scenario? Thanks, Richard. Very important things to, to consider. Actually, when you talked about the whole life cycle, that brings us nicely to the next topic. And this is the safe by design. So, Corro, could you tell us what this is all about? Well, I think this concept of safe by design is 
about including safety considerations as early as possible in the product or process development, depending on uh, what you're targeting and thinking about safety issues early in the industrial innovation uh, process. So this concept also implies the changing of uh, the mindset of designers to consider these safety issues and requirements already when they are designing the products or processes. And also the collaboration with multidisciplinary actors in the design phase is, is quite key for the implementation of this concept. Um, and are there kind of specific things that need to be considered when we talk about safe by design nanomaterials? Well, I think some of the things already been pointed out by Richard, but I think uh, one of the uh, key things that we have always with um, dealing with nanomaterials in terms of safety, the need for having data and data facilitates decisions. And since these decisions uh, for the implementation of the safe by design concept has to be made at early stages. So I think and the, the need of data for making this decision is, is more important. And then consequently, we have to provide to, to those designers the screening tools to facilitate their decisions at that stage. So uh, these screening tools will be uh, more predictable if we have more data. So this is quite key. We have been producing quite a lot of data already for latest years, but these materials are changing along the life cycle and we need information about these different forms that we have along the life cycle. So this is really key for the safety considerations uh, and requirements. And at the moment, we are uh, actually developing these different approaches to facilitate the application of this concept in in the field of uh, nanotechnology. So in my case, I'm a project coordinator of uh, Sabina. This uh, project is trying to build a digital guidance platform to, to guide industry working with nanomaterials or nano-enabled products on how to implement this, this concept and to facilitate the access to all this existing data that we have on safety. And we will also guide the, the user of this platform on how to produce this data that is needed for making the decision. So at the beginning of 2024, we hopefully will have something more to uh, provide to the industry and uh, help them to make these decisions at early stages and also in other phases of the innovation process as well. Oh, that's very interesting and, and, and surely very, very useful for, for companies in the future. Um, if we then move on to talk a little bit about the risks. So what would you say are the biggest risks of not being able to apply safe by design principles to nanomaterials? To me, the safe by design concept is a prerequisite for, for the circular economy, also plays an important role in sustainability, and it will have an impact on the overall chemical strategy for sustainability. But also there, there will be 
an important impact on the market and the uptake of these nanoscale materials, but um, safety considerations are really key for uptake. I think there is quite some consequences if we are not able to um, to apply this concept, but I think it's it's coming through. So it seems a little bit that safety considerations are somewhat lagging behind product development. Um, but do you have any indication of how well these aspects are already taken into account when developing new, new nanomaterials? I think performance has been a key uh, choice for going for these uh, materials compared to going for uh, classical additives. But I think we need to have this communication in both ways on how we are developing things and how they how to make use by the companies. Uh, and, and we are trying to improve uh, more and more the communication with the stakeholders when we are coming up with uh, all this complex information that we have about nanomaterials and the safety considerations and their uh, complexity that goes along the life cycle. So I think uh, more and more awareness of this uh, will help the companies to to have it into considerations in their manufacturing processes. And also uh, generating screening tools is, is quite easy way for the companies to uh, quick check their um, ideas that they are designing and, uh, and go for safer solutions. So I think um, there are some companies that they introduced this um, earlier uh, and they go in line with uh, the developments and with the findings in the scientific community. And there are other companies that they are still waiting for the regulatory arena to push them a bit more. But I think uh, the implementation of this side by design concept uh, will become more and more an implementation easy for for the for the companies, and I think also the the sustainability and circularity is more considered by the companies at the moment. Uh, this is forcing a bit for the companies to to change their strategies. So also, as mentioned at the start, so the European Union Observatory for Nanomaterials looked deeper into biodegradable, persistent, and surf-by-design nanomaterials. Um, Virginia, could you tell us what the focus of, of this study was? Well, one of the key aims of this study was to collect the state-of-the-art information on the tools and methods available to determine biodegradation of nanomaterials. We have a main focus on providing a robust and validated analysis of the suitability of the existing tools and methods to analyze persistence of uh, biodegradation of nanomaterials. And on the Save by Design, uh, the focus was on mainly on collecting the information available on approaches and strategies uh, for nanomaterials to reduce the environmental risks. Uh, with this information in hand, the study has tried to conclude on the potential transfer into regulatory context while highlighting at the same time the gaps and developmental needs for the future. Uh, before we go into the results, um, why was there a need to look at specifically these topics? 
Well, I can I can only acknowledge what my colleagues uh, Richard and uh, Socorro have already mentioned during their interventions. Uh, information on environmental behavior is key for a comprehensive risk assessment of nanomaterials. So given the unique and complex properties of nanomaterials, the considerations during the design process needs to consider a lot more parameters than, uh, let's say, conventional chemicals. So we have to take into account uh, core materials, structure, coatings, stabilizers, size, shape, you name it. So this makes the process much more extensive. Also, the information that we have available concerning the design possibilities for nanomaterials toward more sustainable compounds and products is quite fragmented. It's not easily accessible, and we only have a few reviews available. Uh, so far, also, the majority of the uh, save design efforts for nanomaterials have focused on very limited areas of nanomedicine and drug design where they very often ask as carriers to deliver the active ingredients to the targets in the human body. So considerations for uh, safe by design strategies for more commonly distributed consumer products with a much higher and wider potential were still lacking or are still lacking. With respect to biodegradation of nanomaterials and their coatings, uh, the question still stands if conventional tools to assess the persistency of a compound in the environment are suitable and applicable here as well. And if not, what is currently done in terms of development, adaptation, or further improvement of the established tools and methods to cater for the nano-specific requirements? Overall aim of the report was to improve the transparency of information on the safety and markets of nanomaterials, the applicability of the traditional techniques, and study potential paths for future research. And then maybe we go into the to the findings. So what would you highlight from the results? For uh, nanomaterials and organic coatings, uh, well, just to mention a few, and not necessarily also in order of importance. I would say that one of the main findings from the extensive literature review and supported by targeted uh, surveys is the confirmation that uh, substantial work is still needed for the study of nanomaterials, degradation and persistence especially in complex environments and considering transformation reactions such as homoaggregation or agglomeration. The study also confirms that the wide range of techniques used for the study of chemical degradation and persistence are being applied also for nanomaterials with or without uh, modifications. Also, as mentioned already by uh, Richard, when we talk about the existing OECD test guidelines, OECD TG318, uh, stands out as it can be applied for the study of the biotic degradation of persistency of nanomaterials. And in addition, the study also flags that other experimental and computational techniques have been used for the monitoring, studying, and quantification of biodegradation and persistence. There are also novel techniques such as uh, synchrotron analysis that can substantially help with the study of biodegradation and persistence in more complex environment, but perhaps this is not so uh, yeah, a straightforward approach as it requires high level of specialization, expert knowledge, and is cost-intensive. And just to mention some of the main findings for uh, Safe by Design, um, yeah, maybe worth to highlight that uh, in most cases, the existing uh, Safe by Design strategies for conventional chemicals and other substances 
require modification to be applied to nanomaterials. But there are already some strategies already proposed for nanomaterials and quite some effort to push them for improvement of these techniques and the complementation of uh, these uh, safe by design strategies is ongoing. Um, I would say that uh, transparency, public communication and demonstration of the positive effects of nanomaterials are also uh, key for the societal acceptance and to improve this uh, whole understanding. The report also summarizes many other literature findings, knowledge gaps, and provides an excellent summary of the challenges regarding the assessment of biodegradation of nanomaterials and their organic coatings, and also in the safe by design of nanomaterials. So I think at this time, I can only encourage our audience to read on the report and then the, take a little bit further. I think it's it's fair to say that so more information is still needed, and there are still several challenges that need to be tackled uh, when it comes to nanomaterials. But um, what do you think are the consequences uh, of the existing shortcomings with, for example, the lacking data? From our perspective, I think a lack of data means that we, we could end up flying blind. And there really we risk failing to satisfy public concern. Um, and that might mean that we miss genuine opportunities for sustainable material development. Um, if we can't demonstrate to the public and robustly demonstrate to ourselves as a community um, about what the right strategies and interventions are and, and what the right framework is to develop more sustainable uh, and safer materials, then, then we might miss being able to innovate in those directions. If I may add, I would think that these shortcomings also lead us to, um, to figure out that we still have a lack of knowledge in the long-term effects and fate of nanomaterials. If I understood correctly, so underage companies must generate data on degradation of nanomaterials. So is there an expectation that that every day, every year, we will get more, more data and we will get wiser on these questions? I think we are... Um producing more and more data, but the amount of nanomaterials and the novel materials are coming up uh, every day. And as we said, the transformation of these materials uh, and the data on these forms uh, along the life cycle is, is quite key in terms of their impact on the environment or you know, on human health. So I think it's still always a need and it's a continuous work of getting data on the different materials. We have a lot of data in some of them, but um, there is a high variety of materials and, and that is so difficult to cover all. And what we are seeing is that even though they, we develop a lot of uh, grouping approaches to be applied and, and to be able to use data from one to the other, there is still a need on producing data when you have so much different uh, materials with different characteristics as, uh, and as complex as they, they can be in the nanoscale. And uh, so that's, uh, to me, is one of the things that we have to keep producing data. And I think we are doing that. I, I totally agree with Soko as well that I can't see in the, in the near term a need for us to not produce data. Um, and as he said, Pavi, hopefully we will become wiser as we produce more data. 
Um, but in order to do that, we do need to make sure that that data um, is accessible. Um, and also that the, the sort of metadata around it um, is sufficient for us to really be able to robustly identify trends and patterns and relationships that will enable us, hopefully in the future, to start reducing um, that data generation requirement as, as our predictive models become better. But to do that, as I say, we really need that data to be accessible. Um, there are frameworks such as the FAIR, the idea of FAIR data, um, which maybe can help us get to that point. And that really is focused around making sure that because these materials are so complex and because the relationships between structural properties, physical chemical properties and, and effects are so complex, um, really having as good a quality and as much surrounding metadata around what's happened to that nanomaterial to generate that endpoint um, is going to be essential for us to, to build those, those links and those relationships. Before we conclude, I wanted to ask, what else is there? What else do we need to do to uh, speed up development and, and to increase the understanding on the challenges of biodegradation and safe biodesign? Well, I would uh, I would say that already REITS is contributing to this all as the aim of these uh, nano-specific uh, requirements is to make nanomaterials use safer. But in addition, I would like also to, to say that uh, systematic research on biodegradation of nanomaterials uh, with the aim to reach uh, standardized methods to have toolbox at hand to cater for the huge physical and chemical variety of uh, nanomaterials will be maybe uh, needed or should be promoted. Yeah, and I'd, I'd echo Virginia there. Um, standardization will be important and that's going to be particularly helpful with increasing acceptability of data around biodegradation of nanomaterials. And that goes back to my last point about if we have good data that we can rely on, then we can start making these predictions better. But I think also there's a point here for high throughput assays um, that are cheaper will be preferable, but we need to know how well these uh, high throughput assays reflect the real world before we move them to standardization. It's, it's that validation of these lower tier methods against higher tier real world uh, outcomes um, that really I can see being, being a gap that we need to, to push out at the moment. I totally agree that I think the standardization is quite key. And also, I agree with uh, what Virginia was saying about already REACH is contributing to provide industry with a clear way to uh, make this implementation operational. So let's say that we need standard methods to produce the data needed to make the decisions and using these methods will be much uh, straightforward for the industry. And uh, also if they have the regulatory support on this and also pushing in the same direction, then we will make sure that uh, this is really well updated from the companies. Thank you very much, all of you. It was a pleasure to have you with us and to hear your views on the study findings. It was also very valuable to understand where we are today and where we might be heading when it comes to biodegregation and safe by design nanomaterials. For those of you who are interested in learning more about the topic, 
As mentioned earlier, you can find the study report on the EUON website at euon.eka.europa.eu. And you will also find there a lot of other information about existing nanomaterials on the EU market. And for more episodes of Safer Chemicals podcast, visit our website at eka.europa.eu forward slash podcasts. Thanks for this time. Bye bye. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals.